The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And there you're going to see two videos. The one on the left side is an educational video from Bradley. Um, you can check that out up until 3 p.m. Eastern today, at which time he should be back home and back on the radio, 3 o'clock Eastern today on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you've got. Uh, look for the rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner, and click on that, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. We've got a lot of friends over there. It's great to see you guys this morning. And... Uh, um, yeah, always encouraging to see people in there. And uh, so do that. And then we are streaming live to Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel on Rumble. Sons of Liberty Radio Live on is the channel on Rumble. And uh, if you would just click on that and subscribe to the channel. You may, it's kind of hit or miss with Rumble when they notify people. I don't know what the deal is there. Uh, you would think publicly traded company, they kind of got their act together with some stuff, but there's still some bugs are working out or something. I don't know, whatever's going on. Anyway, you can check that out there. We're also streaming live over on beforeitsnews.com, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page over there. And uh, we appreciate those guys carrying us. And 4 p.m. Central today, this will air on Missouri Liberty Radio. And uh, I believe I gave you guys the... the uh, the URL for that, I think it's MOLibertyRadio.com. I believe that's what it was. Um, and that comes on at 4 p.m. Central Time. Okay. And we appreciate Sam Britton and uh, being so kind as to carry the show over there. So that's great. Now, it's not it's not the kitchen, Bethany. It's my grandson. He's in there tapping out stuff. He's, he's a happy boy this morning. So if you guys can hear, I don't know. They, they say they're supposed to be you know, noise suppression and background and all this. So yeah, if you hear it, there's life in the house. There's life in the brown house. So we're happy about that. Um, 
Yep. And while you're over at sonsoflibertymedia.com, there is a, a place where you can sign up for our email newsletter. That will be sent out once a day uh, between 7 and 8 Eastern. And yeah, be sure to sign up for that. That includes the morning show archive. So listen, all these shows we've been doing on the fulfillment of what Scripture says would happen, you know, what the Old Testament prophet said would happen, what Jesus said was coming, the fulfillment of all those things, all those scriptures are linked for you. So if you're, you know, I know how it is. Some people turn it on like a podcast. You're listening while you're working. You don't have time to sit there necessarily with your Bible and a pencil or any anything like that. And some people do. All that's linked for you in these show archives. Okay. All of it's right there. You can go back. You can pull those open on your phone, on your computer, open up your Bible, uh, your paper copy, if that's what you want to do. Do your studies yourself. Um, see if I'm telling you the truth. I believe that I am. I believe I have stuck with the context. I believe that the scriptures interpret the scriptures. And the only time that I want to go outside of that, like say for history and things, are just to confirm what we see in the scriptures by letting scripture interpret scripture. Okay. So with that said, this is Friday. <laughs> I want to I want to relay this to you. For <clears throat> probably the last two years, there has been there have been things that have been changing in my mindset and in my outlook as to what I need to be doing as a man, what our family needs to be doing and and changes. And in recent weeks, uh, even a couple of months, two or three months, that's become more and more focused to an altering of lifestyle. And what I mean by that is when Jesus speaks, he calls people to leave everything and to follow him. And <clears throat> that is a, that is a, yes, preachers teach that, but do they really mean it today? Do they really mean those things? Do they really mean take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Is that what they mean? I hope people understand the implications for the things that we're looking at are not just so you can say, oh, I get it. You know, you can put the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle. You can find the pieces and put them all together. It should impact your life to not bow the knee to any other gods. Now, I'm going to clarify that in a second. Or any other kings. Unless, unless those kings bow their knee to Jesus. And I mean, they believe he is the king. They really believe it. And they submit themselves to the laws of God and not to the laws of man. Okay. That's going to change a lot of stuff because there's a lot of practical implications born out of, remember that little scenario that Jesus had where he's given the piece of money? Should we get, should we pay taxes? He looks at it and he doesn't, he never answers them and says, yes, you should pay taxes. He never says that. But what he does is, is he says, whose image is on this? And if you recall, the second commandment is what? Don't make any graven 
images of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, just a little tidbit here, for because we're going to read a lot of scriptures. God says before that, you shall have no other gods. Whenever you hear the term God, it is not God's name. Okay, it's not his name. Despite what people try to get you on the whole GD thing, that's not his name. His name is Yahweh. And boy, you'll see people use the name of the king, Jesus, all the time. They hit their thumb and they use his name in vain. And the Bible says the Lord will not hold him guiltless who uses his name in vain. But it's more like we take that name, but we don't serve him as king. We don't serve him as our lawgiver. So when you see the word God, I want you to think lawgiver. That's what it is. When you see the term God, he is the lawgiver. So you are not to have any other lawgivers but the Lord. He's the one who gives the law. Everything else that does not, if man writes a law, it should comport directly with the law of God. This is why when the king sat on the throne, he was to write down the law of God and keep it in his possession and read it daily so he knew what the law was. He was not to be making up laws on his own. He was to make the law of God the law for himself as well as for his people. So keep that in your mind when you do that. Now, with that said, we got a lot of scriptures to go through here. <laughs> and I was just opening up something. Hopefully they will go quickly. You know, the preacher always says that, though, doesn't he? Um, <clears throat> hopefully they will go quickly. But here's the thing. What I want to do is today and then Monday, we're going to have Jesse Boyd on. You remember Jesse and his family and his team are the ones walking across the United States with their their flag, their 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 cross and um, and and sharing the message of Christ with other people. So. <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to address what I played for you yesterday, which is this rabbi Tobias Singer. And I'm going to address the specific things he says has not been fulfilled, like the temple and stuff like this. But what I want to do is I want to play it, and I'm going to play it on each show right at the beginning, just so you hear it. And my, my hope is, I don't know if this guy is still alive. I don't know if any of these Jews that he's allegedly got out of the church um, so to speak, uh, have, have heard any of this stuff. So, you know, I'm hopeful the Lord will bring it to their attention uh, as to what goes on. But I'm not going to deal with the specific things he mentions today. I'm just going to deal with the things in the New Testament that tell us the scriptures are fulfilled or they were going to be fulfilled in the Messianic period, the time of Christ, the first century there. So here is... Um, Rabbi Tobias Singer, and I don't, let me see if I, I need to probably pull it up this way, because what I want to do is I'm just going to put it on the screen. You don't need to see my mug while we're uh, playing this. So, um, and I've got it muted. Hang on just a second. All right, let's go back. 
somewhere. <laughs> I thought I had this thing open. All right, here we go. This is Rabbi Tobias Singer, and you'll notice things that he says are things that you will hear in the quote-unquote Christian church about things that have not been fulfilled, that Jesus did not fulfill. And if Jesus didn't fulfill these, I'm, I'm just going to lay the premise, then he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the promised one to do what he was doing. Okay, so listen to, to here's the rabbi. My name is Rabbi Tovia. I'm the director of an organization called Outreach Judaism. I've devoted my life to helping Jews who've converted to Christianity return back to the Jewish faith. Evangelical Christians are targeting Jews worldwide, spending hundreds of millions of dollars to bring you and those that you love to the church. They claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the belief in the Messiah is uniquely Jewish, and it's a fundamental principle of the Jewish faith. They claim that Jesus somehow fulfilled these prophecies, but really, what does the Jewish scripture say about the Messiah? Why doesn't Judaism accept this Christian claim? It's a fantastic claim, and it lacks evidence. Tanakh tells us, our Hebrew Bible tells us, that there are certain events will unfold in the Messianic age. When Mashiach comes, there'll be an ingathering the exiles. That's Ezekiel chapter 37. The knowledge of God will cover the world as the water covers the sea. That's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 and verse 10. There'll be a resurrection of the dead. That's Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. The temple, the third and final temple will be rebuilt. If you look today at the Temple Mount, you'll see there a couple of Islamic shrines and it's laying in destruction, waiting for the redemption. But Ezekiel chapter 37, all the way through 47, describes the third temple that will, will be there forevermore. So we have all these messianic prophecies telling us what the Mashiach is supposed to do. And now we ask the question, there have been hundreds of people throughout history, maybe thousands, who've claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus included. What do they all have in common? They didn't fulfill a single one of these prophecies. There was no building of the temple during the first century. In fact, it was destroyed. There was no ingathering of exiles during the first century. The Jews were exiled. There was no resurrection of the dead. The Jews were murdered by the Romans in the ongoing wars. There was no worldwide knowledge of God during the first century because as a result of these wars with Rome and the destruction, the havoc, of the destruction of the Second Commonwealth, the knowledge of God and the observance of mitzvot were diminished. What's the key? The key is, know your own Tanakh, know your own scriptures. If you can look at the great passages of Ezekiel and Isaiah that tell us exactly what will occur, the lamb will lie with the lion. There'll be a worldwide peace when the Messiah comes. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, Isaiah chapter 2. Are we living in a time when there is peace? No. We are living in a great time, however. We're observing the events that are bringing us to this great redemption happening before our eyes. Know your scriptures, understand your own faith, and no missionary will be able to rob you of a relationship with God. Thanks for joining me. Okay, all right. So, my name is. Oh, I, I think here's the thing know your scriptures. This guy obviously believes in Daniel. He references Daniel 12, which we made mention of yesterday uh, as far as a resurrection. We saw at least verifiable evidence in the New Testament from Matthew's gospel that there was a resurrection of the saints 
after the resurrection of Christ, as they went into the city and were seen. So there, we, we've kind of touched on that. The temple business, the peace, all these other things. Lord willing, we're going to start on Tuesday. So if you want to know what those temple, and I'll just give you a hint about the temple. What did Jesus say about himself? One who is greater than the temple is there. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll, what? I'll rebuild it, right? I'm telling you, the scripture interprets scripture, and it's beautiful, uh, but we'll get into that then. What I want to do is there's a bazillion of these. I don't want to take two hours, but when you when you see this and you see it, and like I said, if you if you can if you can grasp the things that I've shared, and they're not hard to grasp. What's hard is unlearning the errors that we've been taught. That's what's hard. Unlearning the errors. But it makes it so much easier when the truth is presented in its context and let the Bible just say what it is and push everything else that anybody says out. It's what the Word of God says. That's what we want to cling to. Okay, Not the Word of Tim. If you disagree with me, that's one thing. We may, I may challenge you. You're going to challenge me. And that's great. But it's what does the Word of God say? So let's begin. We're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Okay, And these are just going to come one after the other. I won't have to make a lot of commentary because they pretty much speak for themselves. All right? So these are passages that talk about the Scriptures being fulfilled. What the prophet says is fulfilled. Okay, And then <clears throat> we're going to see in portions of these where Jesus says, these things are going to be fulfilled, which we've already covered. So some of this is going to be a repeat of things we've done. This is just partly you know, driving that nail uh, into our minds, so to speak, so that we remember it. And I know that's probably not a good analogy. You don't want to drive a nail in your head so you remember something. You won't be remembering anything if you do that. But I want to drive it into your heart and your mind that you you need to remember this is what the scriptures say about it, okay? And they do have practical implications. We're going to eventually get to those things too uh, as you begin to think through some of these things. All right, so let's begin at Matthew chapter 1. And what do we see here? Well, verse 19 <clears throat> says, And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example because he finds out his, uh, his wife Mary is with child. She is a virgin. He's not been with her, so he... What would any man think? Well, any man would think my girl's been with somebody else because this, this doesn't happen where God just puts a body in there and Jesus comes and dwells in it. There, there's there's got to be a guy involved in that, right? So it says he's a just man, or in some translations, a righteous man. And could he have had, could he have made this a judicial matter uh, to which the penalty would have been death? Yes, he could have. But he didn't do that. He was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he or Yeshua, for he shall call for, for he shall save his people from his sins. That's what his name means, Savior. Now, all this was done, all what was done? Well, all the things that came before it there. 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord or, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us so what did Joseph do as a result of that then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus now this is clearly if you're a Roman Catholic and you believe in this perpetual virginity of Mary you are believing a lie it says he knew her not that is the connotation of sexual intercourse he did not engage in that until she brought forth Jesus and then it's clear he did engage in it because Jesus has brothers and sisters in the household. Okay? So that's Matthew chapter 1, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. And that's about a virgin. This is Matthew chapter 2. And forgive me, but I'm going through this uh, KingJamesBibleOnline.org. I just use this because I don't want to get in the arguments with the King James only people. I'm just going to use it. If there's something that needs to be clarified, we'll do that. But you'll notice in their translation, I don't know why they did it, but instead of Jeremiah, they have Jeremy. So it's, it's a little weird to me, but I ran across that today. You'll see that in just a little bit. This is Matthew chapter 2. You remember that um, Herod wanted to kill the children because the, the wise men, whom there's no doubt generations had, had been trained under Daniel, in Babylon, they're the ones traveling when they see the star of the child. They travel, and by the way, to get away from, again, more Roman Catholic kind of deception, the wise men were not at the stable. They don't show up until Mary and Joseph are in a house. Okay, just so, just so we're clear on that. They're, all these little nativity scenes with wise men, they're not there. Just the shepherds are there, okay? Here's what we read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12. And remember, Herod has already gotten information where the child is supposed to be. This is, and by the way, you, you know that they didn't go to the stable, not only because of that, but the fact that when Herod sent out the word to kill all the children, the baby boys, he chose two years old and under. Now, you don't do that if the child's brand new, right? You might pick two months or a month or whatever, two years old and under. So probably when they find Jesus, he's in the house and he's with his mother and such. And so you get the idea. Verse 12 of chapter 2, Matthew. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they, had de and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, Take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and sent forth, 
and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by, and they have Jeremy here, but it's Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. So you can see here <clears throat> exactly what they're showing here um, with regards to all of these things. Now, we go a little further in Matthew chapter 2, and here's what we read. And this, uh, <clears throat> this culminates with, uh, with, what the, with what the prophet said. Chapter 2, verse 20, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. You remember Joseph and Mary and Jesus are down in Egypt. That's how they were protected from Herod. Okay, so now he gets this message from the angel, go back up into the land of Israel. And he arose and took the young child and his mother. And I don't know why I have a tickle all of a sudden. I've pretty much been over that cough, but I have a little tickle in my throat, so I apologize. And he came in the land of Egypt. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled. Even where he's dwelling, it's telling him this, right? I, I called my son out of Egypt. He said he's going to be born in Bethlehem that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, don't get confused. This is not a Nazarite. He is a Nazarene. Nazarites take certain vows, like John the Baptist was given, Samuel, other people. They don't cut their hair. They're not cutting their beard. They're not drinking wine. They're not having anything to do with the grape, so to speak. All that kind of stuff. That was their vow that they had that set them apart unto the Lord. So here again, more fulfillment. These are plain. These are simple to understand. Okay? They're, they're not hard to understand. In fact, when it says it's spoken of by the prophets, it tells you what they said and what's going on there. Additionally, <clears throat> these are refuting what the rabbi said at the first. Um, I mean, they're, they're just, they're doing away with Exactly what he said, because even when he mentions Daniel, did he not read Daniel chapter 9? It gives a time frame. You're past that time frame, dude. Any, any person who claims to be a Jew, and by the way, you can claim that all you want, but the scriptures refute you being a Jew. It does. Completely refutes that. The true Jew is the one circumcised of the heart, not of the flesh. All right? This is also from... <clears throat> Uh, Matthew, jump up here, Matthew chapter 4, and here's what we read. Jesus had just went into the, the wilderness. He had been baptized by John. He went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He was, in fact, it says he was led of the Spirit 
to be tempted of the devil or to be tested. That's probably the more proper understanding. The devil's going to be his, the temptation that tests him, that shows him for who he is. And by the way, I don't think Jesus could sin. I don't think he could. I think he is, he is the fullness of the Godhead, the Bible says. God cannot be tempted. He can't lie. He can't lie. These are things that he can't do. Okay? And people ask silly questions like, well, God, can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? That's just silly. These are things he can't do. And why can't he do them? Because they're not part of him. They're not part of his nature or his character. He is immutable. He doesn't change. Okay? So keep that in mind when you read things that says it repenteth the Lord or he repented. He's not like a man that he needs to repent or anything like that. So Jesus passes the test. And how does he pass it? With the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, he says, and the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving <clears throat> Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast, in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulon and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, what, what, what have we been saying all along? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? So Jesus' message is in line with every message that I've been giving on this for the past couple of weeks, okay? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not off in the future, like way on out there, thousand. it's at hand. Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 14. <clears throat> and again, I don't think there's a reason for a lot of commentary. It's plain what it's saying. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto him. She served her. He raised her from the dead, and she did good works. Does that sound like Ephesians 2 to you? Sounds like Ephesians 2 to me. When the even <clears throat> was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took, himself took on, boy, I think they really messed up with, with some of their, I don't know if they used the voice thing or what, but himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So that's literally fulfilled in his healing of the sick and the casting out of the devils, all right? And when Jesus saw the multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart into the other side. And of course, it goes on from there. All right. <clears throat> so that's Matthew 8. And you can check that there. And I, I got these a little out of order, but <clears throat> they're still in Matthew. Okay. All right. I was trying to put all these in order so we could just go right down through them. But these are the gospel accounts of how the scriptures are fulfilled 
in the life, the earthly ministry of Christ. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, and beginning in verse <clears throat> um, 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. He didn't come to do that. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not or one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the le of these least commandments, and look, <clears throat> he's he's teaching them. He's re-delivering the law to them, if you will. It's a picture of what Moses did on Sinai. He goes up and he gets the law. He comes down. And he gives. He's ready to give it to the people. Jesus is on this mount, and he is delivering the law as it was understood previously. Not as the scribes and the Pharisees had heard through their oral traditions, which got written down in their Talmud and um, <clears throat> the what is it, the Mishnah? I think they have some some things that are oral traditions in there. No, he is upholding what God had given in the in the first and the intents of it. Jesus is not telling you anything new in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not telling them new new things. He's telling them old things the way it used to be understood, but the scribes and Pharisees had, had twisted it <clears throat> to try to justify themselves, okay? So he says, Therefore, whoever shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right. So then he gives some examples as he goes on. We're, we're not interested in that today. It's interesting. Don't get me wrong. But what we're interested in seeing is the fulfillment. <clears throat> and Christ is the fulfillment of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He says so himself. Okay, Luke 24. This comes from Matthew 13. And here we see uh, verse 11. <clears throat> and he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore, Speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. This is for the Messianic age. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. That's where we get the term stupid, dull of hearing. It's not, it's not something to, to try to demean somebody. It's, it's a thing of saying, you're not hearing, you're not listening, you're not comprehending. Okay, 
and their eyes have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Now he's talking to his disciples. Remember, this is the the parable of the sower deal that we've read a couple of times. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see. What things are you talking about, Jesus? The time of the Messiah. The time where the kingdom is at hand, where the kingdom comes into fruition. They desired to see my days. Remember, he tells the Pharisees that Abraham desired to see my day. And they have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Okay? And again, I don't know why. Oh, it's fine until the show started. But I have this tickle in my throat for some reason. Okay, next one is Matthew chapter 13. And again, all we're doing, I'm not trying to play Bible ping pong. We're on a particular phrase or a use of the term fulfilled where it's pointing back into the scriptures and it's saying, this is that. We're we're doing, we're kind of doing what... um, what Peter did on the day of Pentecost when he preached his message in Acts chapter 2, and they said, oh, these men are, they're mocking them, and they're saying, these men are full of new wine. It's, it's early in the morning, and Peter goes, no, no, this is that which the prophet Joel said would come in the last days, right? And he quotes Joel. So this is what all we're doing here. <clears throat> so Jesus is speaking the parables, and in verse 34 of Matthew 13, here's what he says. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. Hmm. I can just see the modern church guy. And by the way, we do have the phone lines open. Uh, If you want to call in, it's 803-619-9855. That's only available while we're doing the live show. 803-619-9855. 803-619-9855. If you want to call in, you got a comment, you got something you want to add, or but please keep it to the topic that we're on. Let's not get off into, it, there's good questions. It's just, as I explained the other day, I'm not going to get into things that we haven't talked about just yet. <clears throat> so it says, and these things Jesus spake unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable he spake not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Okay, so even the parables that Jesus tells are the result of prophecy that was given, that this is how he's going to speak to this people. All right, we also have Matthew chapter 12. And here's what we read. Verse 14 is where we begin. And the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. He didn't hang around. And he told his disciples the same thing. He says, if you go into a village and they receive you, you know, let your peace be on that house. Go in and fellowship with them. It's fine. But if they don't, then shake the dust off your feet and get out of there and go somewhere else. Don't stand around to be a martyr. Don't stand around to be persecuted. Get away from there. Go to the next village, right? So he leaves, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known. 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Hmm. Show judgment to the Gentiles. Remember, part of the Messianic prophecies is that when this Messiah comes, it's going to be a, it's, there's going to be a light that goes out to the Gentiles. And what have we talked about about the light? They have been living in darkness. What's the light there? Well, obviously it's the Messiah, but it's his law that brings light. It shows men their need of a Savior. It shows men that there is a king who's delivered the law, that there is a God who delivered the law. And that God said, you don't have any other lawgivers, no other gods before me. Okay. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth a judgment unto victory. All right? So again, I don't think these need a lot of commentary in, in what uh, is going on here. With that said, Matthew 24. This is one we've been over and over and over and over again. Here's what we see. Matthew 24, and beginning in uh, verse 31. Let's just pick that one, because all of this is all that stuff that everybody says is way out in the future. Jesus says, nuh-uh, it's coming to this generation in the first century. Verse 31, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, now learn a parable of the fig tree has nothing to do with modern day uh, Israel. He tells you what it is. The parable of the fig tree is so you know when it's near. When what's near? We looked at it in Luke 21, and what was it? The kingdom of God. Jesus says, you'll know when it's near, even at the doors. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So all he's saying is, when you see leaves on a fig tree, you know summer's Right here, right right around the corner. It's a simple thing. He's not talking about modern-day Israel. He's talking about a fig tree. And the parable is the reality of that parable, the fig tree, is this. Verse 33. It's in the context. So likewise ye, that's the disciples, that's who he's talking to, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. So just like when you see leaves on a fig tree, you know summer's right around the corner. When you see all these things in Matthew 24, know that it is near, even at the doors. And if you go to Luke 21 and you read the same passage, it's almost verbatim, except instead of saying, know that it is near, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Luke tells you what the it is in Matthew 24. It's the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And then he tells them, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angel of heaven, but my father only. And then he tells them about the days of Noah. <clears throat> so at that time, they didn't know the particular day that this was going to happen. But they knew they could see the signs leading up to it. Has nothing to do with our, our time frame. Uh, look, I have had people 
I, I had a guy on the show. You guys would know him. Very popular in the whatever. I don't know. I don't even know what to call it anymore. The quote unquote right conservative thing who wants to tell you that we're living in Matthew 24. No, we're not. And anybody that tells you that doesn't know the scripture. They don't understand it. It's plain. It's easy. It's clear. Oh my goodness, it's clear. And so he restrained himself and we brought him on for a little segment. And he had to throw that in. And I said, no, we're not in the we're not in Matthew 24. We are not. You may can draw some application and see similarities going on because God doesn't change in how he judges people or how he judges nations. He doesn't change in that. You may see application to that, but we are not in Matthew 24. That first generation, they were in Matthew 24. Okay. So anybody telling you otherwise is not holding to the scripture. I'm just telling you because they make Jesus out to be a liar if they say Matthew 24, any portion or all of it is out in the future. They're making Jesus to be a liar. I don't know any other way to say it. Matthew 26. Let's look at that. Beginning at verse 51. Remember, they come out with sticks and clubs and they want to arrest Jesus. Judas has been paid off 30 pieces of silver. He's come out. He's, uh, uh, they just had the last supper together. Um, they've gone up into the Mount of Olives and they are there. And Jesus has been praying. His disciples fall asleep. All of a sudden, the, the Romans come out with Judas leading them, and he gives a kiss on Jesus' cheek to signify he's the one that they're looking for. And uh, when he does, Peter, the inept swordsman that he is, aims for the servant on the high priest's head, and he catches his ear. And here's what we read, verse 51 of Matthew chapter 26. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest's and smote off his ear. So it's clear Peter had a sword just like Jesus told him to have. They're in Luke, in Luke's account of the gospel. Okay. And Jesus said unto him, Put again, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father? And he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then? And, he, and I think he's telling him, you put up the sword. We don't fight in an offensive manner with carnal weapons. <clears throat> and this is something to take in because he's going to tell why he's telling Peter to put it up. We fight with spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God in the tearing down of strongholds. And I'm telling you right now, what we're doing right now in, these, in this series is we're tearing down a stronghold that the enemy has set up in our minds to keep us complacent, impotent, weak, cowardly, submitting ourselves to other gods and to other gods' laws. Let me put it in a, in, a, in a language that everybody can understand. Other God's theocracies, because every government on the face of the earth is a theocracy. You just have to find the God behind that, that theocracy, and you'll find the lawgiver. And from that God comes the laws. And what does the Old Testament tell us? 
<clears throat> when other gods are in the gates, there's or, or when other when other gods are there. I don't know. I'm having a moment here, but it comes from Joshua. When there's other gods or there's new gods, there's war within the gates. Why? Because the people are not walking together under the true and living God and his law. Okay. So here's what he says. Verse 53. Thinkest thou that I came, uh, cannot pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Hmm. And he calls them out for it. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. All of that, and look, <clears throat> the modern day church has no problem with that. They don't have a problem with that because that's this is this is all the message is for many of them. Not all of them, but for many of them, it is just to bring them, bring people to a point where they say, Yep, Jesus is the Lord, He's the Christ, my sins are forgiven. And that's really the end of it. They offer nothing else to teach them how to follow Christ. Okay. Um, so we see how this, we see how this progressed in Matthew chapter 26. Then we go to Matthew chapter 27. And I know we're just almost through the hour here and we're just in Matthew so far. So I'm going to have to quit speaking so much and just read these texts a little faster. Matthew 27, beginning in verse six. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. This is after Judas has come back in, <clears throat> excuse me. He has realized what he's done. He throws those 30 pieces of silver down on the floor and the, um, and the priests <clears throat> and the guys who are there gathered together say, we can't, I mean, this is just, you got to grasp this. Sorry, I'm going to comment on it. You got to grasp this. These guys just paid off one of Jesus's own to betray him so they could capture him and murder him because he was an innocent man. But they say, it's not lawful. For to put them into the treasury because it's the price of blood. Well, you hypocrites, you're the one who paid it to, to bring blood. I mean, this is how hypocritical they were. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled <clears throat> that price of him that was valued whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Isn't that interesting? Even the 30 pieces of silver were prophesied in the Old Testament. Not just the 30 pieces of silver, but even the guy who was going to do the betraying, G Judas himself. Then we have Matthew 27. And here's what we see. Verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross, that's Christ's cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink it. And they crucified him and parted his garments, 
casting lots. I mean, even this, the taking of his garment, it was a <clears throat> simple garment that he had. That In fact, this seems to be the only possession that Jesus has in his that we read about in his entire ministry. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was always staying somewhere else or on the Mount of Olives or something like this. He didn't have anything. They took his garment and they cast lots. Why? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Wow. Even down to them taking his clothing, divvying it up, and, and playing a game. They're gambling for Jesus's only earthly possession that he had. Let's go to Mark chapter one. We're running a little short on time here, so we're going to go over a little bit. <clears throat> if you want to catch that, and please forgive my clearing my throat. I, it, this was not an issue before the radio show, so go to sonsoflibertymedia.com. Also, Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live is the channel, and also beforeitsnews.com if you want to pick up the rest of this from Red State Talk Radio. Mark chapter one, and beginning in Verse 12, it says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. And now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Remember what uh, Paul writes in the book of Galatians. One of the things he writes there is, In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. The fullness of time. This is the, the fulfillment that was given here. This is Mark chapter 14. I think I can get this in before we close out on the radio end of the show. And they laid their hands on him, beginning at verse 6, and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote him. And again, <clears throat> this is the same story we just read. Uh, he smote a servant of the high priest, cut off his ear, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as a thief, as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not, but that the scriptures might be fulfilled. All of it is so, I mean, it's about the Christ. My goodness. The hope of Israel. <laughs> that the modern day Israel and the modern day people who call themselves Jews but are not say didn't happen. Catch Bradley at 3. We'll see you back here in the morning, Lord willing. Kate Shimrani, 8 a.m. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming over for um, from Red State Talk Radio. Guys, I don't know in the video platform why there's an issue. Maybe try a re uh, refresh or something like that. I, I don't know if that'll help, but give that a shot and see what that does. Okay? Because um, <clears throat> I still see my stream going just fine. We haven't lost any frames, so there's something happening. Uh, with Rumble, um, because I'm I'm not showing any errors, and usually if there's an error, you'll see frames dropped, and none of them are dropped right now. Okay, so with that said, we'll move on to Mark chapter 15. What does it say there? And it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. That is his. That's his crime. <laughs> that's his crime. Is that he set up. 
a kingdom and claim to be a king other than Caesar. That was his crime. And with him they crucify two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Hmm. Even his death, not just his death, but the scenario surrounding it. The, the soldiers are gambling for his clothes. He's in between two real criminals. All right. And that is part of the fulfillment of the prophets. Can you see how all of this is? It, it, it's about the Messiah and the work he would do. And, the, and we've seen it even starting in Matthew 24. The establishing of the kingdom. The doing away with the old covenant. Heaven and earth passing away. He's going to make new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a new world coming. Okay. This is what he's doing. Luke chapter 1. Now we're into Luke. <clears throat> and here's what we read. Verse uh, 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts. And he's talking about um, uh, John the Baptist here. Because John the Baptist is the Elijah. He's, it's not a potential Elijah if Jews just get it. That's a misunderstanding of, of Jesus' words. John the Baptist was the Elijah spoken of um, by the prophet that would come and would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children back to uh, the fathers. So he says, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In fact, um, there's another passage that sounds very similar, and I think it's out of Isaiah, uh, in which the the term the prepare the one that that John the Baptist points back to. He says, "Prepare you the way of the Lord." And when you see the word "Lord," it's the capital capitalized "Lord." What does that mean? Prepare the way for Yahweh. When you see the capital "Lord," that's what it is. That is the name of God, Yahweh. You prepare that. Well, who was he preparing? Who was John the Baptist preparing the way for? Yahweh in the flesh. And, Zach and Zacharias said unto the angel, that's John the Baptist's daddy, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife well stricken in years. See, he's given a, he's given a prophecy about John the Baptist. He's going in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah. <clears throat> and the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee thing, these to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Now, the angel's not giving you know, necessarily new words. He's giving what had been prophesied about the coming of Elijah, uh, about what that what that one who came this Elijah would do. He's not giving new prophecy. He's building on what the prophets had said. And what did we see? And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. 
for he beckoned to them, remained speechless, and it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And then later on, what do we see from <clears throat> what do we see from Zacharias? Well, later on, we see that uh, Zacharias, when John was born. All the people are saying, well, we need to name him this, and we need to name him that. This would be a good name. You need to do this. You can name him after my dad. I've got a good name. You can. And, and all of a sudden, his tongue is loosed, and he says he's going to be called John. Just like the angel said. Just like the angel said. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year, and this is talking about Jesus, not John the Baptist, okay? Every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance, and when they had found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him, and it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now, I looked up fulfilled there, so this one didn't necessarily apply, but he is there learning, and as it, as you go a little further down, you'll see him baffling these doctors and these teachers of the law, this little 12-year-old boy, baffling them with questions that he asked out of that. And what does Jesus tell his parents? He tells them, shouldn't I be about my father's business? So early on, he understands who his father is, and I think he understands who he is. He understands he is the one the prophets have been speaking of. Okay? Luke chapter 4. This is the <clears throat> this is follow-up to what we just read there. Jesus goes into the synagogue, or he's, he's in the temple, and he opens up the book of Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah. Listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. So the the custom was they stood to read the scriptures and they sat down to teach. Okay, so Jesus has read this text from Isaiah. He closes the book. He gives it to the guy who's in charge of keeping up with, with the scrolls. I mean, that's, that's what's going on. And he sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture. So he's saying, this is that. This is what Jesus is doing. This is that. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. 
Mm. That sounds like what they were mocking him on the cross, doesn't it? Whatsoever ye have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. All right? Okay. We're going here next to Luke chapter 21. Again, this is the parallel passage to Matthew 24. And again, listen to what is said here. Verse 20. And again, all the stuff in Matthew 24... It's parallel here to Luke 21. It's the same questions asked by the disciples. Very same answers that Jesus gave. There's a little bit of different wording that gives us insight into what Jesus was saying in Matthew 24. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. That was in the first century. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance that all things, not some things, not part of things, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Okay? The days of vengeance upon who? Israel. And by the way, if you follow the rest of this passage, I want you to, know, I want you to notice something. People say, well, we're in the time of the Gentiles now. Um, Pay attention to what gets said. Verse 23. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until when? The times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That prophecy also, coming out of Daniel, was fulfilled in the trampling of Jerusalem. That's the time of the Gentiles. That's right there in the context. It is not now. It is then. The time of the Gentiles was the trampling of the Romans upon that area, Judea, Jerusalem, all of that, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. It's right there in the text. It's just right there in the text. We have answers, but we have people who have not taught the scriptures in their context. This is why I say, if you don't get anything from me at all, even if you don't agree with me in this, which I hope you will, because it seems pretty clear to me, that you will get to look to the scriptures in their context. And I don't care. I've got a lot of preacher friends that don't see this. I'm going to stick with the scriptures. Okay. I'm going to stick with the scriptures. If I get in trouble or whatever, then I have nothing to hold to but the scriptures because they're, they're what drive the truth. They're the ones that drive the truth. All right. Luke chapter 21 again. And what do we see? It's the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled, what we just what we just had. I had these open up so that I don't miss anything. So that's I'm just reiterating what I just said. Uh, again, Luke chapter 21, what do we see there? The same thing we see in Matthew 24. And he spake unto them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, you know you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. Now he used a little different different words, but he's saying the same thing. See that fig tree, see leaves, summer's coming. 
So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God, Matthew said it is near, but he says the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So over and over and over and over and over, what do we see? The scripture being fulfilled. The scripture being fulfilled. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22. And again, I, I hope this is beneficial to you. A lot of these you've heard, and you and probably a preacher somewhere that you heard it from or whatever, or even in your reading, you've said, okay, I get some of these things, but some of these things sound like they're far off in the future. They're not. Luke chapter 22. And here's what we see, verse uh, 16. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the uh, hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. And gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. So he says, not going to eat any more of this until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So those are Jesus' own words as to when he would partake of those, those things again. Then we see Luke 24, 44. Again, I, you know, our friend in, in the comment section says, Moses never mentioned Jesus. <laughs> I just, I, what do you say to stuff like that? Luke 24, Jesus himself says the things written about him by Moses are about him. <laughs> They're written in the law. Verse 41, and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. How many things? All things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of... Who is that? Who's that guy? Moses. Yes, Moses did speak of Jesus. He certainly did. And the prophets did too. And in the prophets. And the Psalms spoke of him too. And in the Psalms concerning me. Now, if you think that's been corrupted, I'd like to see your evidence. You saying, it, you saying the Scripture's being corrupted in, in the manner that uh, we can't trust what's there with proper study is the same thing the Islamists do. They say the New Testament's been totally corrupted. We can't trust any of it because God would never become a man. That's one of the things that they say. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, 
And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So I think it, it's <sighs> messianic period. And some people will say, yeah, messianic period. What he came to do, he forgives sins, he did all this, but all this end of the world stuff. Well, wait a minute. We've already defined the end of the world. If you don't know what the end of the world is, go to the, the show on the end of the world. We take where the Bible uses the, the phrase end of the world. It is literally the end of the age. It is the old covenant world. It is the old covenant age. It is the old covenant heavens and earth. They're done away with in Christ. Why? Because he's the fulfillment of all of that. He's the fulfillment of all that stuff. And he comes and establishes his kingdom and the new covenant. Hebrews 9 tells us he came and he offered himself as a sacrifice at the end of the world. That's what it says. If you want to argue with that, you are not arguing with me. You are arguing with the words of Jesus, the words of the prophets. You're arguing with the word of God. You're not arguing with me. You really aren't. John chapter 13. Here's what we see. Beginning at verse 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happier ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And then he clarifies what he means. How is that going to be fulfilled? Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Why is he telling you this? Why is he telling his disciples this stuff? Because he wants them to see when this one who is eating bread with him and lifts up his heel against him, he wants them to know it's not just that I'm saying it, it's a fulfillment of what the scripture said would come. He wants them to see it. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Now, what's interesting is when you, when you follow the rest of that out, you find all the disciples going, well, is it me? I mean, could I do this thing? What, is it me? Is it me? And then Judas says, is it me? Now, Judas knew. Judas knew. A little creep. He, he, he knew, and he goes, is it me? And he goes, you've said it. What you're going to go do, do it quickly. He knew. But Jesus did it so that they would understand the scriptures said this must be fulfilled, and even this, this one who would lift up his heel against him. John chapter 15, beginning verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. Oh, friend, I hope you don't hate Jesus. I hope you don't hate him. And then you talk about loving the father. 
You, you can't do something like that. You can't hate your brother either, by the way. John says, if you hate your brother, don't talk about your love God, but you hate your brother. What in the world? If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. I mean, it's when, when you see all of this, it's absolutely amazing. All these little details about the Christ have to be fulfilled. They have to be fulfilled. All of these scriptures speak, all the Old Testament scriptures, the books of the prophets, they speak about Christ. They speak about Christ. John chapter um, 17. Now, if you want the real Lord's Prayer, you go here. If you want the model prayer, you go over there into Matthew, I think it's 6. All right, the one that says, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and stuff like that. That's the model prayer. That's a model. It's not that you have to do it verbatim like that. He's giving you a model of how to pray. So here's John 17. This is the real Lord's Prayer. You want to hear the Lord praying? You want to hear the great high priest interceding on? In fact, verse 12 is where we're going to focus. But just hear that. I want you to hear. Listen, friends. If Jesus is your high priest, I want you to hear how he intercedes to the Father on your behalf. And my behalf. Those of us who see him as the only priest that we need. Verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, if you remember in John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Word. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. How did Jesus have glory with the Father before the world was? Well, he's the one who spoke it all into existence. He's not a created being, as some would claim. He's not. He's the one who spoke all things into existence. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world, Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world. Get that in your head. I pray for them. I'm their great high priest. I'm interceding for them, but I'm not praying for the world. 
And he doesn't mean the physical creation. He means those who are not his. I pray for mine. I'm not praying for those who are not mine. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. He's not talking to the Pope. Shame on you if you call such a wicked man who thinks he's in the place of Christ, whose title is actually Antichrist, Holy Father. Shame on you if you do that. You need to repent of that. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, watch, but the son of perdition, that's Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That the scripture might be fulfilled. What be fulfilled? The son of perdition. Yep, he was prophesied. Judas was prophesied in the Old Testament. John chapter 18. And boy, if you want to gain some encouragement, read the rest of John chapter 17. That is the Lord's intercession for his people. Okay? And, and if you go on and read, he's not just praying for them. He's praying for those who will believe because of their word. John chapter 18. Verse 6. And soon then, as he had said unto them, I am he... This is where the, the Romans came. They're looking for Jesus. Um, he says, I am. The he there, you'll see it's in italics. Remember what I told you about when you see italics, especially in like a King James Version? That word is not there. They insert that so that it kind of gives you an understanding of what's being said there. The words is, I am. Now, who says I am? God does. Remember, Moses, who, who, who shall I tell him sent me? You tell them, I am that I am. The self-existing one, the one who is ever present. Uh, I don't, he's not bound by the time. He just exists in of himself. He needs nobody or nothing to exist. They went backward and fell to the ground at his word, at his response to them, I am. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. Don't mess with the guys who are with me. If you're looking for me, here I am. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. And Peter having his sword, he does his thing there with Malchus, uh, chops off his ear, that kind of thing. Da 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 da. Okay. All right. So our, our, we're only a couple of away from, from finishing these. This comes from John chapter uh, 18. And let's read this. Verse 29. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? He's talking about Jesus. And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, would we, uh, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. And the Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now, 
I'm just going to give you a little hint on things of practicality. What are they appealing to as their law? What are the Jew what do the Jews constantly appeal to the to to as law for them? Their law. Now they point back to the law of God, Moses. We see that through the scriptures. They also have the oral traditions written down in the Talmud. Of course, Jesus teaches different than their teachers. He teaches with authority. He goes to the scriptures themselves. He's not referencing rabbi such and such and rabbi such and such. He's saying, this is what the prophet said. This is what the prophet said. This is what the prophet said. It's fulfilled. It's fulfilled. I mean, we're seeing it all through the gospels here. These things are fulfilled. And yet, these Jews who are of their father, the devil. Jesus said that. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. What does the law of God say? And it gives the capital crimes, and it says, you will stone them with stones until they're dead. Whose law are they actually submitting to? Caesar's. They're rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar. When Jesus held up that piece of money and he said, whose image is on this? They said Caesar, and he goes, he's hoping they get it. Don't make images. Don't have other lawgivers before me. Don't have gods before me. Don't do that. And what have they done? They've got images, and they've got another lawgiver. And they're appealing to that lawgiver to do for them what they're supposed to do under the law of God. So, they say this, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Now, Jesus already told him he's going to be crucified. He told the disciples this. Okay, There are elements of the Psalms where this also comes out. Psalm 22, his bones are out of joint and all of this, his heart you know, melts within him and all of these kinds of uh, prophecies that are given signifying that he's going to die a death of crucifixion. If he, if the Jews put him to death, what are they going to do? Pick up rocks to stone him. And we see that all throughout the gospel accounts. He tells them, I'm the son of God. What's the big deal? You guys call yourselves gods, lawgivers. What's the problem with me? Because you're trying to make yourself equal with God. Well, I want to ask you something, friend. I want to ask you something. What do men call themselves today? Lawmakers. If that is in your vocabulary about men, get it out. Get it out of your vocabulary. They are not lawmakers. They are imposters if they think they are. There is only one lawgiver. Only one. And if you have other lawmakers... And their laws, their, what they write out, does not comport to the laws of God. They are other gods. They have made themselves other gods. Get away from them. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't support them. Don't vote for them. In fact, I've already told you, I, I'm just not participating in this system because that's exactly what I see these people doing. We are, we are rebelling against God and saying, oh, I got a great meme the other day. It took John Calvin's 
statement of when God wants to judge nations, he gives them wicked rulers. And you've heard me talk about that. I think I've even had one or two shows with that title. And it said something like this. Um, and let me just look. I, I may. Ha I, yeah, I think I. Well, I think I do. Um, boy, I did I actually no? Here it is. I'll show it to you guys. And I thought it was really, really powerful. Okay. All right. Here it is. That's been struck out. That was John Calvin's statement, and it says this: When God wants to judge a nation, He gives them rulers. And they strike out John Calvin and they put Samuel. Now, for those of you who've been following what we, what we teach and what we've talked about, that's exactly right. Men want kings, they want rulers, they want leaders, and you hear that all the time. Oh, we need good leaders and blah, blah, blah. No, we don't. No, we need to repent and return and put ourselves back up under the king and his law. And we will find liberty. I'm not saying it's going to be the easiest thing to find. But that's what we need to find. That's what we need to do. And here's what we see. So they said that, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Hmm. All right, we're in the home stretch here. Only three more to go. <laughs> John chapter 19, and here's what we read, beginning at verse 21. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate, and now look, Pilate has been Mr. Milktoast in all of this. He hasn't stood up for what he knows right. He said Jesus is a just man. He hasn't done anything wrong, but he fears man. What does the fear of man bring? A snare. His wife even warned him. Hey, have nothing to do with this just man. And what does Pilate go on doing? I'm going to have something to do with him anyway. Even I'm just going to try to justify myself by washing my hands in front of these people as though God doesn't see, but he's the one who gives the order. Why? Because he fears the people. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. We read this in the other gospel, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. And they did it right there in front of the naked, beaten, mauled Son of God hanging on a cross. The heartlessness of it all is just incredible. And yet, it was done that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. John chapter 19. Verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. 
Then said he to the disciple, and this is clearly John, this is the one writing. He doesn't like to name himself except to say he's the disciple that Jesus loved. And that must have been a very precious thing for John, that he knew Jesus loved him. Do you know that Jesus never told anybody he loved him? He showed them he loved them. He showed them he loved them. And John got it. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. John, uh, you know, I'm done here. This is your mother. You take care of her. She's under your care now. And from that hour, that disciple took her, who was not his mother, as though she was his mother, unto his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. Tetelestai paid in full, the debt's paid. The curse is over because debt is a curse. What is the debt we owed God? Well, we violated his law. We've got an infinite debt we can't pay. Jesus said, it's paid. It's taken care of for my people. And he bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. Hmm. Hmm. Joseph is presumed, uh, I just caught this question, uh, Stuffy. I think Joseph is presumed to have died at this time, by this time. He's, he's done, moved on. And some people believe that, and I don't see any reason to argue it, but what we saw about the saints coming out of the grave after Jesus' resurrection was Joseph was probably among those people who came out of the grave and were seen. They went back into the city and were seen by the people. So my best understanding is Joseph had, had died by this point. Okay. Hopefully that's a that's an answer you can you can agree with there. Here's the last one. This comes from the book of Acts, chapter three. Verse fifteen. And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses, and his name through faith is in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. Okay, so you've got to understand he's talking to them about them putting to death Christ here. You did it through ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. And what is the response to that? Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. When do those things happen? When is the restitution of all things? We go back over into Luke 21, and I mean, I think it, I think it becomes clear. 
I think it becomes very, very clear that what he says, let me back up here and get where I'm supposed to be. Um, I got too many Lukes up here. Uh, boy, how did I, how did I mess this one up? <laughs> oh, I just read it a minute ago. Okay, I, I don't know why I'm not seeing it. it. It was in my batch of stuff here, and I've got so many tabs open, so I do apologize. Let me just bring it up real quickly, um, and that way I don't lose these tabs because I use those to go back and put in the scriptures so that those of you who want to who sit down with your Bibles and you want to go through these things and say, you want to be a Berean, and you want to say, are these things that Tim's telling me true? Is this really what the scripture says? I, I want you to do that. I don't want you to just take it for what I say. Um, but he says, boy, why can I not find this? Um, I'll find it real quick. All right, here we go, I think. It's not just the times of restitution come with the coming of Christ that he speaks about in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. This is what he says. Just like you see the, the leaves coming on the fig tree, and you know summer's around the corner, he says, Likewise, ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. It's going to be set up just like it was prophesied in the scriptures. The kingdom of God is coming, and truly I say unto you, this generation, the generation that heard Jesus' words, shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. If that is true, and it is, what are the implications of that for you, the listener, and for me, the speaker? The implications are that there is a king, and only one king, and that is Jesus, that there is a kingdom to be had and to dwell in. There is a law from the king because he is the one and only God, and we're not to have other gods before us. And as the warning comes from Scripture to come out of her, my people... We are to submit to the king, not to Caesar. And why are we to do that? Because of what the king has done for us. We are to submit to him and to him alone, not man and their little petty statutes and their pretended laws. If you remember, if you read the Declaration of Independence, that was one of the issues they had. You, you got pretended laws, and then you're trying to drag us across the sea for pretended crimes. They're not crimes because God doesn't say they're crimes. But boy, are we filled with all kinds of pretended law in the United States of America. We are filled with it. Why? Because when God wants to judge a nation, he sends them rulers. We have one king. We don't have rulers. We don't have leaders. We have a king. And his name is Jesus Yeshua. He, 
He is the one and only King. Let me ask you, friend, have you bowed your knee to King Jesus? And are you following him? Or are you following Caesar and you're trying to follow Jesus? Because you, I'm becoming more and more, you can't. You can't do both. You're going to love one or hate the other. It's just the way it is. Which one are you following? The message is repent. The kingdom of heaven is all around you if you see with eyes what the scripture says. And remember, the kingdom of heaven does not come with observation. It's within you. That's what Jesus said. Do we believe that? Or we like the, the rabbi that I played at the first that says, nope, I'm looking for a real literal kingdom that looks like all the kingdoms of the world. Doesn't that sound just like the people of Samuel's day? We want a king like the nations around us. They had a king, did they not? They had a law. They had a kingdom. And they said, nope. We've seen what the king's done. He's fed us in the wilderness. He's protected us in the day and the night. He's destroyed our enemies before our very eyes. The entire Egyptian army has gone into the Red Sea. He fed us with manna. He fed us with quail. And all they could do was complain. And they come to Samuel and they go, this just ain't working out. This kingdom is not what we wanted. We want a king and by nature, a kingdom like the nations around us. Isn't that how people still think today? Even professed Christians. It's how the Jews look at it. It's even how some Muslims view it, from what I understand and talking with some. They're still looking for that kind of thing. Jesus said, doesn't come with observation. The kingdom is in you. What's the end of the message? What's the point of all these fulfillments? The king fulfilled all of what the prophet said. And what was his first message out of his mouth to the people once he had been baptized was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Friends, repent. Repent before the king. Enjoy the bounty of his kingdom and the peace that comes with it. And yes, I'm preaching that to me too. And we're going we're gonna to follow along together, and we're going to see what are the implications of this soon enough. But next week, Lord William, beginning on Tuesday, we're going to have Jesse Boyd on Monday. Beginning on Tuesday, what we're going to do is we're going to address this rabbi's claims. Well, these things weren't done. And I know some of you are already salivating. If you want to go ahead and read Ezekiel 37 and the passages that he talks about, go ahead and do that. That way you get... You get that in your mind of what's being said. And when we go there and we show you the fulfillment of those things, you'll get it like that. You really will. I, I promise you. If you have the Spirit of God and you're desiring the truth here, you're going to get it. You're going to understand that. And you're going to go, how did I let these people pull the wool over my eyes? Because I'm very much like that. How do I let these people pull the wool over my eyes? It, the scriptures are clear. right, Guys, uh, Join us back in here in the morning, 8 a.m. with Kate Shimrani. Lord willing, we're going to have her on. And I don't know exactly what we're going to be talking. It seemed like she told me last week, but I'm going to have to send her a message to see what we're talking about. And then Bradley will be back with you today, or should be with you today, 
3 p.m. Eastern, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Until then, see you.